I invite you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. First Thessalonians chapter 3, and we are going to look at these 13 verses. <clears throat> I guess most of you parents remember your children's first steps that they took. That, that's that's quite a highlight. That was a wonderful day. I remember both of my children taking their first steps. I really remember something about one of my children's first steps because I, I wanted those first steps to be to dad. They were, they were to a man named Kenneth, but it was Shelley's cousin and I said, Kenneth, you, you've stolen my thunder. But I was glad they took their first steps. I'm sure you are too. It was a good day. Yay, everybody got excited. And, and the child maybe wasn't sure what was going on. But it was a fun moment. Now, what if we would have said... I am so thrilled that my child has taken his first steps, that she took her first steps, and, and I am so happy. I don't care if she never takes another step again, but she took that first step, and it's just wonderful. That, that would be kind of silly. We would want them to keep on stepping, to be able to keep on walking. You know, it's a glorious day. When a soul is saved from their sins, when they realize they're a sinner and that Jesus Christ took our place when He suffered on that cruel cross at Calvary, was buried and raised again, He defeated sin. And the, the Bible says if we'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if we'll place our trust in Him, He'll save us from our sins. And, you know, the message goes out. And then you have a taker. You have someone that God has drawn and, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what if we were to say, I don't care if they never serve the Lord or step in church again or tell anyone about Jesus. I'm just so glad they profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's, that's pretty silly too. Because there's a wonderful Christian life ahead Salvation is the first step. In one way, it is a complete step in that you are secured for heaven when you have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are left here on this earth and there is a growing process. There is a maturing process. There is a purpose to fulfill in living for God's glory. The Apostle Paul was so excited over those who were saved in Thessalonica. So many believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and God used them to start a church there, and, and 
He had to leave after a while. Paul didn't want to leave them, but it was obviously God's will that he go. And, and he left, and he didn't say, well, it doesn't matter what happens now. He didn't say, I don't care about the church or I don't care about these souls. Hey, they've professed Christ and they've started, they're on their own. That was not Paul's attitude. There were many steps to follow after that. Salvation is the Lord coming to live within us and set us apart. We now belong to Him. And there is a set-apart life that the Lord is teaching us and instructing us in that we might live for Him. To live a life of servanthood. To be saved and then learn how to become servants for Him. And there's a lot of things that can try to get in the way of that. There are a lot of obstacles in this world that Paul could have been thinking about. You know, can we just call it the dropout rate of professing Christians who are no longer serving the Lord? They're not in church. They don't even want to hang around Christians. That, if that does not burden our hearts, there's something wrong with us at the dropout rate among professing Christians. The, the number and the statistics that people put out there, I don't know how close they are, but, but even if they're in some kind of ballpark range, that is very concerning. I, I know some of them, and they're a burden on my heart, and they're on my prayer list all the time. They should be more than our prayer, on our prayer list, though, we should do is what we're going to see the Apostle Paul do and, and reach out. We need to be steadfast, stabilized Christians. And that's what Paul had a concern for Thessalonica about. He knew, he knew of the persecution that they had to face, and he was burdened for that. So, so what did he do about it? Let's look at Paul's plan in verses 1 through 5. As he writes to this church, as hopefully I've kind of set the scene for you, and he says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and to send Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, and to comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear... I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. This chapter begins with the word wherefore, which 
connects chapter 3 and what he's about to say to what he has just expressed in chapter 2. And Paul expressed a desire that he might be with the church there in their time of heavy persecution, but Satan hindered him from being able to do so. And Paul had a very heavy heart to know about the church's condition, to know about their individual spiritual condition as they are facing, as young Christians, a young church, such heavy persecution. So Paul came up with a plan. He wanted to go himself, but he couldn't. So he sends Timothy on a journey to go to them to find out the spiritual status of the church. Paul had others maybe he could have sent, but he sent Timothy This was a sacrifice for Paul because Timothy was a great help to him. I am so blessed to serve with Pastor Stone here. We both serve together as pastors. I depend on him and if he depends on me for anything, praise the Lord and And we get to work together in the Lord's work here at the church. What what if one of us needed to be sent for some specific ministry for the Lord and one of us were without the other? You know, we're we're used to doing things together and God blesses and and helps us to, to, to serve together like this. But a sacrifice would be made if it were he or, or I, I guess you could say. Paul made things hard on himself because he was so concerned about the church there. By the way, Paul and, and, those, and Timothy and those with him, things weren't as smooth as they could be for them either. They were going through their troubles and their pressures and their problems. But Paul was so concerned about the church and wanted to know how other Christians were doing that he chose to make things hard on himself and to sacrifice uh, his ministry and where he was. They were a newly saved bunch. They were being sanctified. They were learning to be set apart. And they were doing good, we're going to find out. But they were a young church and Paul had this overwhelming burden. And, and so look at, look at Timothy's ministry to them at the end of verse 2. I'll read the whole verse. And, and so Timothy was sent, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Notice, notice what he says in verse 4. We told you before that you should suffer tribulation. Paul prepared them for affliction that it was coming their way. I am so thankful 
for those who took an investment in, in my Christian life. And, and I know you have a testimony of those in your Christian life who prepared you for things ahead of time that could come to you as a Christian. And they would be difficult things that you would have to face. When Paul was there and he was starting the church and growing them, he made it known to them that they were going to have to suffer affliction. But isn't it wonderful when God sends someone along to assist us and to prop us up and to help us? And I mean, it might be just a specific Christian that God lays it on the heart of to minister to you and to strengthen you. I'm not putting Christians on a a different uh, measurement rule or anything like that, but there are some Christians, they are just blessed with the ability to encourage. Some Christians can just walk through the door of the sanctuary and you light up when you see them. You do, you're, they're not more special to you than other Christians, but they are very encouraging. And, and, and so God may have, you may already have this testimony of God sending someone your way specifically and they have lifted you up. They have made you to be able to be strong. You know... It may just not be, we're, we're all different. We all have differences among us. And it may not be that just anyone can make a difference in your situation. But Paul selected Timothy, led of God. He selected Timothy. He sacrificed what he needed in ministry where he was because he had such a burden for this church at Thessalonica. So there's Paul's plan. And in verses 6 through 10, let's look at Paul's praise. Verses 6 and 7. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. To start to care about others... in such a consuming way, is a beautiful spiritual quality. It's not a quality of the world. It's a quality that comes from heaven. Timothy brought back good news about other Christians outside of the current ministry where Paul was, outside of the personal problems and pressures and trials that he was going through, good news came back and it comforted Paul in the midst of his troubles because of the good report of them and how they're doing. A preacher once said, and I I wrote down the statement, having your needs met 
is first a byproduct of meeting someone else's needs. Now, we can't take that to the extreme that we're not to fulfill our responsibilities. God has given us responsibilities. We need to take care of our business. We need to take care of our family. But it's not to the other extreme where it's all about us. Definitely not that by any means. The care that God gives us for others, it's what makes the family of God such a beautiful thing. Verse 8 says, For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Paul was thinking about their spiritual life, where they are. He couldn't text them. He couldn't email them. He had to send to find out about them. And he was so uplifted. His Christian life thrived because of the blessings in the lives of other Christians. Their well-being gave Paul a new and zealous attitude. I've said several times now, I'm going to go ahead and stop saying it until I just preach it. And that is a sermon that I've had on my heart from Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. We are the body of Christ. We are all connected together. And as we mature, as we grow in the Lord together, you know, when one hurts, another's going to hurt. When something great, when an amazing blessing comes into the life of one Christian, we're not, we're not envious of it and wish it was our blessing and mad about it. That's how the world is. Man, come promotion time on the job I had before coming here, man, I I just kind of stayed away from everybody come promotion time because all these buddies were bringing out the dirt on each other because they were trying to get the promotion. (laughs) They didn't want the other one to have it. But look what happens when we become a new creation in Christ in the family of God and in the Lord's true church. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those that rejoice. And Paul is rejoicing over their lives. They were doing good. So Paul could leave them alone now, right? No, he was so passionate about his brothers and sisters in Christ. He didn't want them to just do good. He wanted them to do great. Look at... Look at verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God? Verse 10. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith? They're celebrating. 
this young church and how well they're doing. But Paul goes on to wanting to take them from something good to something great. He's saying you're not complete yet though. Everything's not complete with you. You're only getting started. Paul wanted to help them to focus on climbing in their faith, if you will. Paul was, that was Paul's prayer for them. He said he was praying for them for that. About, about 17 years ago, one of the first funerals I preached was a, was a wonderful child of God. Her name's, she's in glory now. Her name's Billy Masterson. And Sue Baker, if she were here, she, she knew her. And, and I wish I could set the scene and, and you, I wish you would have known her, but when I would visit her, I would sit with her and, and in her feeble voice in her 80s, late 80s, she would say, you know, Brother Kenneth, my prayer every day is that I would become a better Christian. She had been a Christian a long time. She was, she was a leading example to the ladies in the church she was in. And her desire was to continually become a better Christian. That's what Paul wanted for his life. That's what Paul wanted for the lives of other Christians. What compassion for new Christians. What passion and zeal. What care for new Christians that Paul had here. Paul was so excited about serving God and he cared about all the Lord's true churches. He didn't, he didn't want to be the big I and, and Thessalonica be the little U's. He, he, he didn't fear someone becoming a monster Christian, if you will, and, and, and him being in the shadows of that Christian. He wanted the best for everyone, and it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his glory. It was about God's glory. And, and so may we have this attitude arise in us more and more, and we will find ourselves to be Christians full of zeal. We will find ourselves to to come into some great success as being a Christian. So we have Paul's praise in verses 6 through 10, and now we look at Paul's prayer in verses 11 through 13. Now God Himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Let me just stop right there. Paul just told them in verse 10 that he's praying for them. Now he does pray for them. What I'm about to say, I know we can't do this in every situation, but sometimes we're in a situation where we tell someone we're going to pray for them. It's so much better if we can just stop and pray with them right then and there. Paul said he's praying for them, and then he's praying now. And look what he prays. He prays for reunion with them. Direct our way 
unto you. Paul has not been able to get back to them. He wants them to have no doubt about it that they are wanted. They are wanted and desired by him. He wants their fellowship. He wants to be with them. You know, when someone knows that you desire their presence, I, I tell you what, that, that fills a portion of, of people's hearts in a way. You know, everyone wants to feel wanted. How encouraging is that to this church that Paul wants them. He desires to be with them. How encouraging is, is that alone? He couldn't be present with them, but he let them know that that is his heart's desire. He's longing for them and their presence is precious to him. We, we might call verses 12 and 13 of this prayer renewal. And the Lord make you to increase and abound, or, or we could call this portion of, of the prayer abounding. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. And we'll talk again about verse 13 in just a minute. But again, He didn't want them to just be doing good. He wanted them to do great. He wanted them to continue to abound. God worked in the Apostle Paul's life and continually grew him so that he could help others to be able to grow. You know, we, we, Paul, Paul wants their love to abound. Look in the opening salutations of this letter, 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. He writes to them, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love. Not every church that Paul wrote to had that written about them. But this church was very rich, spiritually rich, and they were doing well. They had a labor of love. Not like the church at Ephesus we would read about in Revelation who had left their first love. You, would walk into the, you might have walked into that church and it looked like everything was going as they should. You know, everything was decently and in order in the church. And, and they were teaching truth, but, but they weren't doing so in love. And they got a bad grade from God because they had left their first love. They didn't lose their love. They didn't lose their salvation, of course. But they weren't walking in love as they should have been. He prays that their love that they already had would continue to develop in their lives. Let me, say, let, let me kind of pull a lot of things together with this statement. There is no ceiling on our Christian growth while we're on this earth. We, uh, you know, it's tempting just to sit back on the cozy Christian couch and, you know, we're, we're, we're good, we're saved, we're going to heaven. But there's always growth for us 
as long as we are in these bodies. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And we can increase and we can abound. That's Paul's prayer for them. That should be our prayer for one another. But we also see holiness established within. Be ye holy, for I am holy, the Bible says. Here at the end of Paul's prayer, he says to the end, He may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, with all His saints. As faithful as they were, they needed to understand that in the future, they could be grown in faith. They could be abounding in, in faithfulness also. You know, when, when does a Christian arrive to the place where we've, we've just got this? The church I was saved in, I asked a wonderful deacon who's in glory now, John Sire, I basically asked him that question. When, when do we really arrive, Brother Sire, as though we've just got it? You know, I, I was looking at him, and, and I thought he had it, and he was done, and he was a finished work. And he just looked at me with no critical look on his face, and he just grinned, and he said, when you get to heaven, son... When you get to heaven, that's when you have arrived. That's when you are complete. So it's a continual process for all of us. And it's exciting to think of what more the Lord wants to do with us. He, he may do it by way of putting you in a certain ministry. He, he may do it by way of taking you through a season of just uh, an extra special desire for His Word. We should always desire His Word. But, you know, a future teacher has a wonderful training of, of learning the Word of God continually that they might be ready for it. it. It may be people that God puts in our path that that's going to help us to abound and, and to grow. It, we need to grow and abound for the people that God puts in our path. It's a continuous process, and no one finishes early. No one's done before they leave this earth. We don't finish until we see heaven. You know, Pastor Stone said something about 15 years, probably in the other building, and I had never heard it before, and it, gets, it got my attention. He said, if we're not growing, we're backsliding. I tell you what, that'll, that'll get, it got my attention anyway, made me think, and it's, and it's true. If we're not progressing, we can't be, what does it say here in verse 13? To the end He may establish your hearts unblameable. If we're not progressing, we're not going to, to be unblameable. That's not to say we won't be blamed, we will be falsely accused. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Paul. But God knows when it's a lie. 
God knows when it's not true. So you're, you're going to be blamed, but, but there won't be anything that will, in reality, be able to be charged against you. God says, to the end He may establish your hearts unblameable. God has set this goal for us, and we, we can reach that in Him, in His strength, in His power, in His ability. If we settle for the usual Christian life, we're not going to be able to be as useful. What might we miss out on if we don't continue to increase and abound? It was of great importance for Paul to make this known to the church that was doing so well that they might continue to increase and to abound. This was Paul's prayer for them day and night. May we all help one another as Billy Masterson prayed of her own life that we would be better Christians, that we would help one another to become better Christians. You know, I, I guess, unfortunately, some churches might look like they're against each other. We all have a wonderful Lord and Savior in common. We are the family of God. My, my family's dwindling on this earth that I grew up in, but, but God's given me a, a big family that grows, and we're God's for us. We're, we're to be for one another and to help one another in every way that we can. Brother Brock Bullard, would you close our Bible study in a word of prayer? I appreciate all your prayers for my family. God bless you all tonight.